I'm going to bring in now Dr Orla Kelly, Assistant Professor in Social Policy at the UCD School of Social Policy, Social Work and Social Justice, who's part of this fascinating global study across multiple countries about the four-day week, and Dee Coakley, co-founder and CEO of Boundless, who spends a lot of her time thinking about how to help companies employ anyone, anywhere. And this whole four-day week notion, um, Orla, once upon a time, that might have sounded like an economically non-viable pipe dream that only the slackers and waste might even consider. We're in a brave new world, you know, this, this moment of re-evaluation. The research that you're doing, it's a six-month uh, pilot. What mm. is it? Sure, yeah. Um, thanks, Sonia. So our research, uh, it's the first wave of these um, trials that are happening in many parts of the world um, of companies, private sector companies, who have approached Four Day Week Global, which is this non-profit who is coordinating these trials. And, and we're providing... Um, the research support for that, us and Boston College and and some others. So the first wave of companies started on February 1st um, and there's 12 companies in Ireland and four in the US with employees in Australia and other places. And they um, are implementing a reduced work time schedule, most often a four-day week. Um, And we have three big questions from a research perspective. One, what what's the economic business implications of this? How is it working? What's it doing for turnover, profit, this kind of thing, productivity? Two, what's the outcome on employee well-being? How is it affecting them? How is it affecting how they feel about their job, their health outcomes and some other things? How are they spending their day off? Um, and three, we're also investigating the ecological implications of it. So um, what might it, you know, are there implications for organisational operations being less carbon intensive, people um transport being less because of fewer commutes. And and also there's the big piece of how do people spend their day off, you know, given the climate emergency, there's opportunities there. So, um, yeah, so those three big questions uh, looking are, at are the ones you're, you're focused yeah. on. We have a text for, from Georgina on 51551. A four-day week is for office-based workers. All others are forgotten in this debate. Do workers who are not office-based workers not suffer mental strain and need the, the work-family balance? Also, wages need to justify four-day week for all, including shop assistants, healthcare workers, etc., who don't have the option of working from home. Also, pensions should reflect a living wage as the person has worked all their lives with no added advantage of getting anything extra free. Are we starting to see that tension emerge sure, through yeah. the data, through the research? Um, so, I mean, in the debates, the data is just coming in now, but we do have data from other countries who have implemented reduced work times in other forms. Um, so, yeah, I mean, certainly there are a lot of sectors and jobs that this will work for straight away, but it's not straightforward for every sector and job, like everything. You know, there's no one size fits all in in any kind of realm of business. Um, But we do see that um, in terms of the um, employees um, in other contexts, say, so the Nordic countries in Iceland, for example, they went down to a 35-hour week um, and they did it in some of the sectors that the texture is Carolina is, is talking about there um, with regards to the kinds of health workers and others. Um, and they did manage that. And it did mean that there was some outlay in costs in terms of extra staff. However, there were savings in terms of sick days, employee retention, burnout, you know, the, exactly as the texture says there, these people need um 
need to their work life balance needs to be taken account of too. So um, it's not a blanket one size fits all policy, but but the overarching kind of goal is is this reduced work time. And and just to get to the pension question, um, this particular um, model is the 180-100 model, whereby you do 100% um, productivity, 80% of the time, 100% of the pay. So you would be, it would be reflected in your bonus. You're just more protective, you're same pay, but reduced hours. Exactly it. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the model. D. To what degree ultimately are employees driving this moment of change? Is there a sense employers have lost control of it? Could it shift again if we head into a recession next year? What do you think is the dynamic that's playing out? I mean, certainly I'm talking to HR leaders and people leaders at companies all over the world that are telling me that they they are concerned about people moving on from roles. They're concerned about retention. I think there is a huge shift. Uh, Caroline was talking earlier about empathy, leaders leading with empathy. I, I think we, we're seeing societal shifts and we're seeing norms being set now that perhaps we'll take for granted in years to come. But there is this movement where where leaders are starting to realise the value of leading with empathy. And simultaneously, there's a, a pull and a demand on the employee side where employees are, are walking with their feet. Um, so, yeah, yeah, employees are, are telling their, their companies and telling their employers what it is that they, they want. Uh, and as, as employers try out these things and see that the results, they're realising that there's a real uh, business value and, you know, the, the, there's a monetary um, upside to, to working this way. And you're leading a company that is about remote first work. In this moment, um, do you think employers have to think about the four day week that Orla is talking about, have to think about um, remote first policies differently for different age groups? Is there a massive differential now between someone in their 20s and 30s versus somebody maybe in their 50s and 60s? Uh, yes, I think so. Uh, a lot of the companies that I'd be talking with do have younger teams. They'd have teams that are in their, their 20s and 30s, a lot of tech companies. Um, yeah, I, I think a, a, taking an individualised approach is something that we're seeing a lot more of. We're seeing it with employee benefits. We had a, a lot of our customers asking us to give a, a more flexible approach where employee benefits were concerned. Um, so we now, for our own team, and we offer to customers as well, a, a fully flexible benefits platform where companies give an allowance to their workers and those workers self-manage and decide how they want to allocate their benefits budget. Because, of course, what the 22-year-old living in London wants and what the the person in their 50s living in rural France with teenage kids wants from their benefits package, but also from their workday. It's very, very different. When it comes to support and training, younger workers are in many ways disadvantaged by moves to remote work. And, And companies are also having to consider that and consider the type of support that younger workers will need, which is quite, quite different to older workers who are really embracing the flexibility and the freedom. Bringing you back in, Orla Kelly, um, social policy at UCD, midpoint in this research, 
in terms of just what you're seeing around levels of stress, burnout, even women, like are you seeing different mm-hmm. patterns when it comes to employment satisfaction? What are you seeing? What are people doing now in terms of time well spent when you've got these hours back? Yeah, um, so we have our midpoint um, data in now. So we did a beginning point survey um, where we gathered data on employee well-being of all these metrics. And then we did a midpoint survey, which kind of checked in on some of these things and also got them to uh, reconstruct their latest day off. What did they do? You know, how are they spending their time? Um, And actually across the board, we are seeing not that much gender differences in terms of outcomes in that the benefits are being enjoyed by all. We see reduced stress, better work-life balance, um, better perceived health outcomes, mental health, physical health, um, better sleep outcomes, fewer sleep disruptions. So on average, um, the employees were sleeping around seven hours a night and now we're up to seven and a half hours a night um, on average. So all the things, you know, that we as a society are are trying to, the kind of healthy outcomes that we're trying to push by reducing work, we're seeing kind of knock-on effects here. Um, In terms of spending the day off, about half of our sample are parents. Um, So understandably, people are spending more time um, with household work and their kids and so on. Interestingly, unlike other contexts, we don't see gender differences in how people are spending their day off. So both men and women are doing leisure activities. That's the number one activity that we've seen on the day off, watching TV, doing hobbies, going for a run, that kind of thing. And then if you're a parent, you tend to be doing more caring work, unpaid labour as well. Um, so we do see some differences, but not as many gender differences as we might expect and we've seen in other contexts. And those who might be sceptical about the four-day week, particularly employers, might worry about productivity. Are you mm. getting less from people over a four-day week? Yeah, I mean, so far, the self-rated productivity is good. Um, we don't have, I can't comment on the individual company data yet because we don't have all that data in. Um, we do, however, have data from other um organizations that have done this on an individual basis. So Microsoft Japan, for example, they implemented a four day week um, on their off their own bat um, and they saw a rise in productivity. Um, We see it um, Perpetual Guardian in New Zealand. They put it in their organizations, Unilever New Zealand. Lots of different large scale organizations have implemented this. So same rates of productivity, if not rises, you know, you talk about purpose, feeling valued, not being burned out. Um, So it we certainly see it in other contexts, but I can't comment on this particular data set. And Dee Coakley, just to bring you in finally off Boundless, all of this will cause some trepidation for employers when it comes to productivity. But when you, when it comes to building culture, when you're remote first, when you're four day weeks, any one tip trick that employers should be thinking about in this moment to try and actually build that culture and chemistry? I think you do have to bring people together. Our team are spread. We have 30 people across 10 countries. We brought everyone together in June. We went for a week. We, we went to Chamonix in France. We did mornings of workshops and sessions where we were focused about growing the company and how we can all come together around a common goal and, and, and work towards growth. And then we, in the afternoon, we did activities, spent time together. People got to know each other. It is, I cannot put a number on the value that we have received from that. It's completely transformative for a team to spend that time so together. So back to basics, get people in a room Absolutely. together and around yeah. a whiteboard. Thank you so much, Orla Kelly, Assistant Professor in Social Policy at UCD, Dee Coakley, Co-Founder and CEO of Boundless.